We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how you doing? Doing fabulously well, Mike. Uh, we were just joking before we came on that in a normal year, this would be like our fifth or sixth draft episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and yet here we are recording. It's the evening of uh, July 26th, and this is our first official Timeline draft coverage. Uh, you guys know that that I'll be relatively useless for the rest of this episode, but I'm chock full of good <laughs> questions. And uh, we have a great guest, uh, a, a longtime friend of our podcast at this point, who's going to help walk us uh, through some names. So yeah. it should be fun. Yeah, this is, I guess this, this will be our only pre-draft episode. So this is sort of the not draft guys draft preview. Uh, but luckily, like you said, we have somebody who can help us and help guide us through this NBA draft. And joining us is Brandon from Zona Hoops. A friend of ours that we've had on the podcast multiple times. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on, guys. Um, and I totally agree. Even as a draft guy, I'm very happy just the timeline is not filled with draft takes for you know the past few months because it could get pretty miserable pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, but I'm excited to jump on here and, and get started. It's just a weird... To... Go ahead, Sam. Oh, just to go back in history real quick, Brandon, can you remind me because I don't remember... I come from the experience of the James Jones experience in 2019 and 2020. Like Cam Johnson and, and Jalen Smith both came out of nowhere for me. Um, what was your experience like? Because you are one of those guys. You spend all year thinking about these prospects and you put together your big boards of 60 to 75 plus you know, guys. Uh, what was your experience the past couple of years? Did, did those names just like, were they anywhere close either time? Or was it just frustrating for you being like... Yeah, this was. I spent the past three months talking about this, and it just was not what I anticipated at all. Because if that was the case, I imagine it would maybe impact your morale going into this one too, or or maybe change your expectations of what's going to happen. Yeah, I think if there's anything you could take away from James Jones drafting, it's that expect the unexpected. So everyone thinks they have this guy figured out, right? Like just you know look ten to fifteen spots back, older player, someone that can shoot, 
And this year he's probably just going to throw us all off guard and just take some like young prospect now that they have like the mm-hmm. infrastructure in place to for like actual development to happen. So, yeah, I think just following the draft, uh, obviously both times with Cam uh, kind of shocked the internet, and same thing with Jalen Smith. I think Cam was less of a shock in terms of where he was on most boards. He's kind of like in the the twenties, and like everyone knew he's going to be like a solid shooter. I, I think, but. Uh, just to be taken 10th, just kind of really, you know, Kobe White meme enter here. But, uh, yeah, I think Jalen Smith was <laughs> the one that really caught me off guard. I just didn't see that one coming. Uh, so, yeah, following the sun specifically for the draft, it's a needle in a haystack. So, it's just it's I tough. think for this specific year, like me just sort of contemplating the draft as a concept, I didn't really have to do until recently – because the uh, the finals, obviously, in the playoffs just sort of take up all the space and, and in your mind, in my mind at least, I'm sort of unable to juggle both of those things at once. Something we talked about on our last episode, Sam, is James Jones and, and, and their scouting department. They've probably been working on this for months while we're just sort of jumping into it right at the end here. But just sort of conceptually, something that you touched on there, the Suns are in a much, much different place than the last two drafts. And like when I think about picking, first of all, where they're picking... It, which is just sort of a more boring thing in general to research, right? 29th, <laughs> because you're talking about guys who uh, maybe won't play minutes. And that could be on the Suns, right? We're, we're, the Suns could be picking a guy in this draft that's not going to play a lot or guys that could be out of the NBA in the next uh, few years or something. So it's sort of less uh, interesting, I think, for me to then to look at the beginning of the lottery, which is sort of how we've gotten used to it. Our first episode of this podcast was about the number one overall pick. So it's like a whole different environment, I think, to think about. But then, just as you mentioned, filling out a roster, I think, for the Suns is going to be different this year because they're coming off a finals run. So when you look at what they're going to do in this offseason, the idea that the Suns could potentially get some role players that are considered, quote-unquote, ring chasers is a real possibility. And those guys tend to eat up the playtime. So who the Suns draft or even beyond that, whether or not they even keep the pick is going to be an interesting thing for uh, the team this year because it's like, uh, can they draft someone that you can sort of develop slowly over time knowing that they're not going to get playtime because of the way that they could develop this team in the offseason? Should they keep the pick or do they try to draft someone like they did in the last few drafts, which is an older guy who can play right now uh, to try and fill out a spot, even though they might have a little bit more pull in free agency? So, Brandon, when you approach this draft, I'm sure you have all of those things in your mind. How has that shaped how you view the prospects so far? Yeah, I think uh, for any team, right, like picking 29th, there's a lot less pressure than trying to like nail a lottery pick. So, uh, for example, like in this draft, I think uh, for the Suns specifically, there's kind of two needs I look at, and that's like the guard creators and the bigs. And those are like their two, I would say heading into the offseason, those are kind of their two main areas that they need to fill. Um, Mm -hmm. You can find a veteran big man pretty cheap uh, in free agency. Like, that's why someone like Jalen Smith in the lottery to me, like, was not a smart move. And this year, though, if you're taking someone at 29 to fill that same role, it's like, you know, bigs take time to develop um, how much value you're going to get in that first contract. So um, the fact that there's less pressure in the back end of the first round, it's just like you could take more of those swings. And that's why 
I would opt towards going for a guard creator that can you can pair with Payne, play alongside Booker long term, ideally, and um, if you know, just take a swing for the fences. Like that's there's a lot of interesting combo guards in this draft and like in the Suns range. So um, I think just you know, just kind of sit back and see who falls you. And I think this is going to be beneficial for how Jones likes to draft, anyways. Like the guy he'd take tenth will probably be there at twenty nine. So uh, yeah, I think yeah. they're in a good position though, honestly. You know what's interesting uh, to hear you say that, though, because what you're talking about there when you talk about combo guards and creators and, and, and basically what the Suns' needs are, you're talking about fit. Um, and I think it's so interesting every year we go into the draft and it's a little bit different every time. Like when the Suns were drafting in the lottery, Brandon, if and again, Mike and I are, aren't experts here and we never have been. So we always bring in, you know, you were on our podcast multiple times last year, I think, actually. But but we had other people as well. And it was like if you try to suggest the notion of taking for fit um, or drafting for fit in the lottery instead of just taking the best player available. Um, to to like ninety percent of the draft people I know, they would want to crucify you for saying something like that. Like it's it's just like something you don't do. Um, when does it become okay to to consider fit? You know, is it is like where is that inflection point? Is it somewhere later in the first round? Is it just kind of with the understanding that here at twenty nine? we're really not thinking about upside that much anymore, right? We're, we're just looking for guys. Like, if you can get a guy who's consistently solid in the NBA for a decade at 29, you've already won, right? Is, it, is that sort of the thinking? Yeah, and I think every team it's different, too. Like, those, that inflection point is going to be at a different spot in the draft. Um, and, you know, a lot of draft Twitter in general, like, frowns upon what anyone says. And this is coming from someone that's <laughs> technically a part of it. And it's like, all right, relax, guys. You don't get everything right or you'd be working for a team. Um, but I, I just think there's, all, there's always, <laughs> always going to be a cutoff point, though, where it's like, I think the team fit and just molding a player into, like, your system is more important than raw talent that might not ever be actualized, uh, especially if your mm-hmm. team already has, like, an infrastructure and, you have your engines that run the offense, which, you know, the Suns for the most part do. Um, so for me, it's like just about the team that's picking and what your goal is in each draft. Like if you think you have the foundation set and your core pieces, which, you know, the Suns have a pretty solid young core, then I think there's a lot more room to take someone that you think could just be a rotation piece in the back end of the roster for, for cheap, because you're going to have to back up the Brinks truck, truck for uh, Mikel, DeAndre and, and, presumably Chris Paul. So having those cheap rotation players, you know, uh, on the back end of the roster could really help. So I think nailing this pick is kind of, I don't want to say it's like vital, but it, it could be very important with their trade assets and just, um, you know, middling trade assets in general uh, moving forward. See, I guess that's actually why, I guess I look at it a little bit differently from, from, from that perspective. Cause when I think about, I'm not I don't deny that the needs that you just sort of laid out there are the right needs for what the Suns uh going into next season will actually need. Uh but as far as filling those needs with this draft, I just don't know that that's even necessary. I almost feel like no matter who they pick, they're sort of picking for that third string regardless of of what it is. So whether that be a wing, a guard or a big they're probably not going to play too much. And I think in a lot of ways, whoever they pick here could be the type of player that will then fill in for whoever the Suns trade if they ever do make a big trade, say midway through the season or next off season. So like 
for example, if they take a wing, if they take a six foot seven player that can sort of play in the same position as Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, uh, those guys, then maybe you're looking at, okay, maybe he's not going to play at all right now. But if the Suns end up making a trade for a few of those guys to try and uh, do something different in the future, maybe then they'll be able to uh, fill up that space a little bit. But I, I guess it's difficult for me to even envision a scenario where whoever they pick in this current offseason is going to play a role in this coming season. Now, I could I could see a scenario where they play spot minutes here and there, or maybe they eventually take a bigger role in the future. But like to me, trying to plan for this team a year or two from now uh, beyond this next season is, I think, becomes a little bit more difficult. It's hard to really identify what those needs are going to be going forward. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a wrong way to look at it, Brandon, but what do you think about that? No, I actually totally agree with that. And I think that's why there's more um, freedom for taking a swing, just because like, I think you should take whoever you think is going to be the most impactful player in the long run because you have a team that, I mean, look at Jalen Smith. He was a 10th pick. You invested in him and you needed a big last season and he just didn't play. Uh, so, you know, taking time to develop someone I think is a luxury that they have at this point and you know there are exceptions obviously if a certain player falls like just for example like Jared Butler someone I'm very high on for the Sun specifically like if he fell I think he'd be ready to make an impact from day one um, but you know there, there's only it's a pretty short list of players that I think can do that with uh, in the range they're going to be picking so so yeah I think that was more of a general philosophy point I was making uh, just about the Suns in terms of like taking Cam Johnson when they did with uh, with Booker in place and Nathan in place, but uh, as far as this year, yeah, I think there's it's just kind of they're in a good spot because there's going to be some interesting names that fall to them, and uh, you're just playing with house money at this point. I I do want to start getting into some uh, specific names, but before we do, I want to cover one more thing, uh, one more concept that I think is just obvious, and that's the idea of a trade. Um, it seems like there are a lot of reporters on Twitter, and, and look, this is Twitter, and it's a week before free agency, so maybe they're just really good at their jobs. But it seems like there are people out there saying there are going to be a record number of trades this year, and uh, I don't know, they're hyping it up a little bit. Uh, I guess from your perspective, Brandon, do you think, where are you at with the likelihood of the Suns maybe... <laughs> Like it, it, it feels possible that they just trade out of this draft entirely, right? Or is it possible maybe they trade down, they trade up? Do you have any, not even so much what you think will happen, but do you have any opinions on what you think should happen with regard to that? Yeah, so it feels like every draft, the, they say the same thing, like, oh, this is going to be the most active draft of all time. And then it's just kind of a letdown. So um, if that's any indicator, then there's going to be like two trades on Thursday. So. Uh, I'm not going to look into it too much, but yeah, I think the Suns trading their pick is definitely a possibility, especially because it's probably their most enticing asset if they want to make one of those moves and, you know, maybe potentially unload Saric or, you know, Javon Carter, mm. some combination of those contracts to, to get someone that can help right away because, um, you know, James Jones wants to win a championship and, you know, if the plan is to bring Chris Paul back, you know, one quick way to do that would just be to use those your best assets. And right now, the 29th pick is uh, probably one of their best trade assets, which is uh, in terms of like realistic trade like avenues. But, but yeah, I think trading up, um, I don't really see that happening. But trading back is another avenue they could explore with like someone like OKC who has a million picks and maybe they want <laughs> yeah uh, the 29th Jeez. pick and just trade a couple of those second rounders or something like that. But 
What yeah. the hell are they going to do, man? <laughs> How many picks do they have? Five or six? Uh, yeah, this year. I should have looked. I, I want to say. It out. I want to say six, but, but yeah, it's just in the next like five years. It's just they own the draft. Like Tankathon's website will just be the Thunder logo. So, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot since you brought them up. There was a rumor, and by the way, for the record, everything is uh, uh, bullshit right now anyway. Um, but <laughs> there was a rumor that they offered um, SGA and the sixth pick for the first overall pick to Detroit, mm-hmm. um, which I've uh, that was a rumor that that could be the case um, a few weeks ago, I think, and now it was supposedly that OKC offered it to Detroit, and Detroit turned it down. Uh, just your opinion on, on Cade and, and who he is, Brandon. Like, is that the type of trade where, like, is he generational enough where maybe that wouldn't bother you so much? Or is that too much to give up for somebody like Cade? Yeah, I think Detroit's smart for turning that down. So that shows you where I stand on Cade. Um, right. If it's, we're assuming it's true. But, yeah, I think Cade is generational talent. He's going to be one of the best uh, players in the NBA, you know, five years down the road. So, you know, I'm I'm taking him number one. I'm not thinking twice. Um, if I'm OKC, I would I would even potentially throw more in that trade just to get it done. Uh, Thunder Twitter will like flame me for that take because obviously Shea is really good. It's not a knock on him at all. It's just about how I feel about Cade and um, yeah, I think he's going to be in that same mold of you know maybe not as good of a prospect as Luca as far as how he's taken off, but uh, you know coming into the league, he's going to be an All Star within like his first two seasons, I think fascinating uh, it's fascinating uh, yeah I've, I've talked to some OKC guys about that they seem to be um, on the side of keeping SGA uh, and I think a lot of their fans feel that way too they, they feel like it's a little too much to give up but I find Cade to be fascinating every time I watch clips of him or, or he's one of the few college players that I watched live <laughs> this last year and uh, I was just fascinated by the way he plays and the amount of things that he could do on the basketball court seems to be well beyond what somebody like SGA is capable of, not to mention he's much bigger, which being bigger matters too. I love SGA, as people who listen to this podcast know, uh, but I do find that fascinating. So let's get into some, I think it's time to actually get into some names. I know you've written about uh, some players, Brandon, on your website, zonahoops.com, I believe is a website. Um, So people make sure to go there and take a look at what he's writing about and other people are writing about this draft specifically. And I think like, I, I know it's hard, I think to actually research on the 29th pick because like trying to figure out who's going to be available by the time the Suns are picking at 29 is a lot different than trying to figure it out at like say six or 10, <laughs> which is what they sort of looked at in the past few years. So, I know that you sort of you're probably looking at this draft as more of a if they pick any one of these guys I'd be happy scenario. Um, is there any specific player that stands out to you that you'd like to talk about first? Because I'd love to hear just somebody that you think would be a great pick for the Suns first. Yeah, so it's already like difficult enough to predict what James Jones is going to do, but like you said, with the 29th pick, um, controlling or trying to figure out what everyone in front of you is going to do is also another layer so it's just kind of like trying to get yourself as familiar with as many prospects as possible um we already i brought him up earlier so i'll just roll with it jared butler is like probably my favorite fit for the suns if he's there at 29 it's a highway robbery um he had the medical like condition that had him uh ineligible to be drafted that is cleared now so 
you know, maybe he falls uh, because of the like team second guessing that. But he's a Baylor guard, six three, good size, um, national champion, champ. Yeah, we, that's that right there. Lock it in. He's Lock a in the guy. Pitch. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. think, we, yeah, I think we can say all national champions are automatically James Jones guys, right? <laughs> Very true. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'd like to, in in general, just as we talk about these guys, just sort of try to rate them on some sort of James Jones quotient from what we know about James Jones and how likely the Suns would be to pick somebody like this guy. So you're talking about you're talking about Jared Butler. He's a I think he's like what six three six four, mm-hmm. like a playmaking, basically a point guard, one of the better shooters from what I've seen uh, in the draft. And uh, like, how do you see what he can be? in the NBA. I, I watched some footage of him playing. Seems like a really strong, smaller guard. Um, and like like I said, a great shooter, which obviously benefits a lot and a pretty good playmaker. But what do you see? Yeah, he's a great shooter, and he can play both on and off the ball, which I think is huge when you're trying to th- find someone long-term to pair next to Booker. Um, Absolutely. His ability to relocate, you know, hit off movement. Like, he's not just like a, a self-creator, which he can do for himself. He, I think he has the best handle in the class. Uh, pretty easily like very shifty gets wherever he wants and um, I like him better than Davion Mitchell his teammate who a lot of people are higher on but I think his ability to play next to him is kind of like where they just took turns with playmaking and creation is similar to what he could do with um, Payne next year on the bench and I think he would carve out a role that's how good I think he'll be like right away Uh, and then long term next to Booker I think he's someone that can he can guard uh you know, traditional guards, I think ones and twos, he's, he's pretty strong too. So um, there's not too many flaws in his game other than the fact that he's not like some playmaking maestro or anything like that. But like outside of that, I think just a really well-rounded score and he can defend. I will say you, you mentioned him earlier in the context of like ready to play right away, right? That's, that's how you brought it up. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Like a third year, you said national champion, but third year player i'm looking just glancing here at his advanced stats um a a bpm and bpm is a flawed statistic in so many ways you can't draft based on bpm although i suspect low-key that james jones of the past maybe did 
Um, you can't draft based on BPM. Like, you know, if you're a freshman or a sophomore or something, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter. But for a third year player, he had a BPM of 11.7 last year, which is really good. Like I've looked historically speaking at the guys who have a BPM of 10 or greater. It's box plus minus for those who don't know the uh, advanced stat I'm referencing. It's the multiplier that you can use to calculate VORP. Um, and if you look at just kind of the list of guys who get drafted with a BPM of 10 or greater, like they tend to be that type of instant ready, you know, ready for ready for the next level, basically. Like they can come in and they can sort of contribute right away. Just as as I glance, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, that's uh, there's a lot of like people in draft Twitter that think they found like the BPM formula combined with like all these other like models on uh, advanced stats to narrow down the James Jones uh, wish list, which very well could be accurate. Who knows? Uh, but Jared Butler comes up on like all those inquiries. So I, I definitely think if the Suns were even picking as like early as like the lottery, they'd, they'd probably take him. Um, now it's just about a question of, does he fall to 29? And, you know, before the medical stuff, I'm, I would put that at like a less than like 2% chance, but now it's like maybe five to 10% chance he drops. If he does sprint to the podium, uh, don't waste your time and just take him. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think you're probably right that there's probably some teams just above the Suns that might feel the same way, but who knows? That's one of those things that's really hard to predict. Mm-hmm. And I think for Jared Butler, something that I find kind of interesting about him is um, playing with other talent. Something that you mentioned can sometimes uh, disguise how good that players can be coming into the NBA. Maybe the best example of that is Devin Booker, of course, who um, now may be the best player in his draft class, and he came off the bench in college because he played with so much other talent. Someone like Jared Butler, like he averaged like f- less than five assists, I think is what he averaged in, in Baylor. And it's hard to really use that to, to figure out what kind of player he's going to be because so much of the playmaking was split between him and other players. And um, that is a kind of interesting one because then you're sort of taking a gamble that he can be better, and I think there are good reasons to be. And it's interesting that you say that there is a small chance that he can drop. And I guess the heart can, it's a heart condition that I believe was the uh, medical issues that caused him to be ineligible to be drafted at one time, and then now he is cleared. I think it's... I, I think it's hard to say whether or not that should matter uh, to the Suns, but I imagine that if he's cleared, that's a good sign that he can play and he's healthy enough to play on an NBA team. But I think a lot of NBA teams are going to take a look at those medicals and try and figure out what the best options are before they draft him. So that is a good one, and I think that would be a really interesting player for the Suns to take. There's a player that I want to talk about next that we have to get to, and it's Bones Highland. Uh I think is a fascinating player. And this is somebody I think you've talked about. I've seen you mention on Twitter. I've seen a couple mock drafts. I've seen a million this, mock drafts. Yeah. <laughs> mention this guy. With the Suns taking uh, Highland uh, at the 29th pick. And I do find him to be a really fascinating player. I wrote some notes. It's somebody that I've been paying attention to longer than most of these players that we're going to talk about. I called him crafty. I think he's a good shooter. It seems like he shoots a ton of shots off the dribble with the the team that he played on because he's like their star player. And that includes a lot of threes off the dribble. So if you look at the percentages uh, for his three-point shot, you have to factor in the difficulty of the shots that he's taking. Uh, Doesn't seem like much. And this is uh, these are probably the reasons why he might be available at 29. But he doesn't seem like much of a passer. Uh, He kind of struggles to make 
decisions from what I've seen. Uh, relatively good at reading passing lanes. I do find him to be somewhat of, of a disruptor, which is something that I think the Suns tend to like in defensive players, even though like somebody like Mikel Bridges is a disruptor. Somebody like Jay Crowder is a disruptor. Somebody like Cam Johnson is kind of the opposite of that, which is more of a never gamble, stay in front of your guy defender. So I guess there's multiple guys like um, different defensive styles on the Suns. Um, I'd like to hear what you think of Bones Highland, Brandon. And and here's the one question I have to, to you as well. When I watched him play, my first thought is it seems like he's going to get blocked at the rim a lot. Like, when I watch him uh, under the rim and try to finish, he doesn't seem ultra athletic as far as burst. And it seems like a player that maybe he's finishing when he comes into the NBA might not be very good, but maybe could get better over time. But what is your impression of him? Um, I actually, I like his burst, but not his athleticism in terms of like just exploding to the rim and finishing with strength. Like I think his handle is like quick enough to get him into like the lane but from there it's about what, what is he going to do and I think that's a valid concern uh he definitely needs that strength for that next level like I don't think he's gonna have an issue getting to the rim it's just about you know finishing through that contact and becoming a three-level scorer um so that's but everything you said about him like before is pretty accurate uh, I'm in agreement his his playmaking's probably like the main knock on him offensively like he's, he's not gonna be a true point guard he's more of like a combo um, and again, if you, if you like point book or want book to like split playmaking duties, then long term he's a guy that I think his shooting gravity is like just the way he gets his shot from so many different ways, like whether it's off the of bounce, uh, you know, off of double screen, uh, relocating in the corner, just like little things he knows how to do off the ball. Um, I think would make him a, a dangerous fit in their offense. Um, and like you said about his defense, he's just he's pretty long. He's like six eight wingspan, so. Uh, very disruptive, gambles a lot, like you said. But the point of attack yeah. stuff definitely needs to uh, be cleaned up a little bit. And that, that'll come with just, I think, it's like the most common draft phrase. Like, he needs to add strength. And for him, it's like he needs to add it in the sense that he'll actually need to, to use it for, like, some am I Am I reading here right 165 pounds? Is that right? That's what I see listed. Yeah, and that might be uh, generous. So That's <laughs> tiny. For like a combo guard mm-hmm. especially i mean that's tiny that's like tyler you not tyler you size but that's tiny for a point guard that is tiny for a combo guard and and also can i admit that i'm a little bit torn on this one if we're talking about the james jones spectrum yeah because because i don't know i mean so on the one hand second year player <laughs> what, what we what i try to fall back on with james jones is he drafts older guys and he drafts good shooters this is one of the best shooters in the draft, right? Is is that is that fair to say? Yeah. Definitely. Or would, do you disagree with that? Because yeah. I, I think it's what I think what Mike said earlier was really important. Um, really important. You look at thirty seven percent in terms of efficiency, and and it doesn't maybe pop off the page, but you got to consider the the difficulty of of these takes. Um, but the other thing that I think of when I think of James Jones is just I think of Monty Williams and point five basketball, and it mm-hmm. it seems to me mm-hmm. like a guy who takes fourteen shots a game to two assists and averages three turnovers to those two assists. Yeah. Um, do you have worries just about him like fitting into the Suns system of, of ball movement? Do you think he has those blinders on a, a little bit too much to fit in or can that be coached out of him? I'm actually not concerned mainly because uh, VCU's like their team needed him to do that like desperately because their offense is pretty uh, atrocious to put it nicely. Uh, they didn't really have any creators 
on that team, so he kind of had to be that guy for them to have a chance to score. Um, I think playing with the Suns, like in a system like that, where he's not relied to be that guy, will bring out the best of him. And, you know, playing in the .5 system will put him in a position to make those passes where, you know, VCU's offense, I mean, all college basketball is pretty, like offense can be pretty ugly to watch at times, but I mean, theirs was at times just really, like it looked like they didn't know what they're doing sometimes. So uh, yeah, I think just the audacity he has on some of his shots, like off the dribble from how deep he shoots, like can also yeah. kind of murk up those percentages. Like you said, just the degree sure. of difficulty and all that. Or a transition. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he makes some tough shots. Uh, but yeah, overall, I'm not too concerned with the playmaking stuff. As long as you bring him in with the right idea of him, if you set him up to be like a point guard or a playmaker, he's probably going to fail. Uh, but I think just playing in a system like Phoenix is, like I think it would just bring out the best in him and all those like on ball reps where he was kind of forced to make those decisions, um, even if he didn't do them at the highest level, they're going to be good for him in the long run. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. It's kind of it's it's very nice, I should say. Just so when we talk about these prospects, whether they be uh, draft prospects or like free agents that could join the Suns, that we have some sort of level of confidence that the Suns are going to bring the best out of them <laughs> compared to previous seasons where we were a little bit unsure. Like we can talk about potentially Cameron Payne being, you know, on the Suns and then seeing sort of what he became, it really gives you confidence in what the Suns can do or even looking back previously at what Kelly Oubre has done with other teams compared to what he did with the Suns. <laughs> like there there is an infrastructure in place now where there you can sort of believe that the Suns are going to get the best out of these guys and I think when you talk about the James Jones of it all uh, maybe yes Highland is sort of lower on that scale uh, than somebody like Jared Butler but it is kind of interesting to talk about like say if you are drafting with the assumption that we're going to fill out the roster with veterans who expect to play um, maybe somebody like Bones could actually be more of a swing because some of the stuff he does off the dribble, like that's when you look at, that's the exact stuff that you talk about, Sam. Comedy, no, I, I, was, this, I was The Suns need the guy that shoots pull-up threes. This is, is in our range, like in the Suns' yeah. range, this is the best guy for that. But go ahead. What do you think? No, if the word that Brandon used before is audacious, I, like I can't deny, I, I like a little bit of audacity in my offensive players he has sometimes. Some balls, like, man. I like I'll tell you, he'll he, I big like, moments too. He'll just pull up from 40 feet and just, I mean, when he's right. in his zone too, it's just so much fun to watch. No, and Mike is exactly right. Like I've I've complained for two straight years about how the Suns need more pull-up three-point shooting. So for me to like scoff at this guy with the 29th <laughs> pick, I'm not trying to make it seem like it's that. Like, you know, I would, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess is that the thinking as to why the fit makes like the primary reason why the fit makes sense to you brandon is it is it like you know you you identify the same need if the suns need that level of score or is it something else about his game yeah i think the pull-up shooting is in general something the suns i mean you just hit it right on the head they need it pretty desperately unless devin booker like learns how to do that one day uh which would be nice uh please but yeah i think that's kind of his main appeal in general just the shot versatility too um, just having another floor spacer and and yeah just to kind of segue into the next guy uh, since you like pull-up shooting we'll talk about Miles Deuce McBride uh, another guy I'm really high oh I, he's actually who I wanted to ask you about next so this is perfect yeah I figured since we're talking about pull-up shooting 
I would just segue from like probably like these two are I don't want to say like off the top of my head the, the best two pull up shooters, but in terms of guards in the Suns range, you're not going to do much better. So um, he's someone I'm also very high on. So either of those two guys, they're kind of mocked like in that back end of the first to like early second range, and they're the ones that stand out. And that's kind of why I've linked them to the Suns because they need that shooting uh, pretty desperately. Yeah, um, Miles McBride is interesting because one, if the Suns do end up trading Javon Carter, we still get to keep that West Virginia hive uh, that seems to be Suns fans only because of Javon Carter. It also, I, th- I find it funny that uh, with Miles McBride, like his draft comps are Javon Carter. <laughs> like people seem to be well, uh, listing Javon Carter a lot, but you know, offensively, it could be different, right? And and what I think is so fascinating here, so McBride, yeah, he went to West Virginia and so did Javon Carter, and he plays the, the same style. I mean, it feels like everyone they bring into that program, they want the, the pressure point of attack defense, but um, 6'9 wingspan, right? Yep. 6'9 wingspan. Like, it feels, you were talking about Bones Highland has a 6'8 wingspan, and I, I scoffed earlier because I was like, it feels like these guys get longer every year. Like a 6'2 <laughs> guard that sounds awesome to me like just if you just describe miles mcbride as here's a 6-2 guard with a 6-9 wingspan who plays great point of attack defense and hits pull-up threes like i think you already sold me is is to be honest so maybe maybe brandon like what's what what holds him back like why is it not maybe like why is that description that i just gave maybe a little bit too too good to be true in your opinion i know he is still like relatively one of your favorite targets but but what what else is there to his game? Yeah, it's going to be tough for me to like <clears throat> bring up the negatives about him because I love him so much. But uh, I would say just the threshold that six two guards have to hit to end up returning value in the NBA is like very very high. So the pull up shooting has to be elite, I think, for him to survive. Like in terms of uh, what else can he bring offensively? I mean, even at the college level, you'd see him like get in that mid range game and like inside the paint and it's just so difficult for him to score sometimes so that's kind of a question I would have as far as like the rest of his offensive game um, but on the surface level yeah just the the on-ball defense the wingspan um, I think he'll be able to guard both guard positions but can he guard up like to the on like smaller wings for example like I, I'm not sure um, but yeah there, there's a lot to like about his game and just a longer more athletic pull-up shooting version of Javon, which is not really Javon at that point, but uh, since he went to West Virginia, we'll, we'll just go with it. We take we take liberties with the draft comparisons on, on this pod, as many people do. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any comparisons for most of these guys. I mean, I guess when I was thinking about Bones Highland, I did think of Lou Williams uh, <laughs> in a weird way, just because of the audacity, but um, with Miles McBride, I think some of the offensive um, issues I guess that you're talking about are kind of interesting because like some of these guys uh, if if you're capable of shooting pull-up threes like I think a lot of times in college now like finishing at the rim and getting past guys is being replaced by pull-up threes for a lot of these guys so like it's this weird balance this sort of Devonte Graham I was balance. just about to bring him up yeah yeah where where like if you can't finish at the rim you better be really really good at shooting pull-up threes and, uh, and that's a tough thing to draft, I think, because like at a certain point, if you have these guys on the ball uh, and they're running pick and rolls uh, and you're not good at scoring at one place on the floor, 
it's not going to be too hard to defend you. So I think that's and and look, I think a lot of these guys when you're talking about them coming to the NBA, you're factoring in the idea that they're going to improve and they're here, of course. So maybe some of these problems could get better over time. But that is kind of a a theme that I've seen in more recent drafts with these guys that are good pull-up three-point shooters but maybe not as good at finishing. Actually, since we're on both of these guys, when you think about Miles McBride maybe versus uh, Bones Highland, uh, which one of these guys is a better finisher at the rim? Like Because I talked about my fears with Highland maybe getting blocked at the rim and then Miles McBride, also long arms, um, both of them, interestingly, very good at steals, which I think raises their <laughs> James Jones quotient a tiny bit. Uh, but which one of these guys do you think is a better finisher? Mm, it's definitely not either of their calling cards, but I would say, I would say Miles, just because in transition, especially like some of the times he'll just get up and just throw it down or like finish through contact. And I know transition's not a great way to like measure that in general, but. Um, from what I've seen in the half court for both of them, like there's some work to be done there. Um, I think Bones has better like touch. McBride's better at just making these weird like spins, like um, in the like mid range area or like in the key, and like hitting tough like fallaways and stuff like that. So um, it's a little bit of both, but I would have to lean Deuce just because I think the wingspan helps and the strength. I think he's also a lot stronger than Bones at this mm-hmm. point, so um, I'd give him the edge there. And but overall, like it's not something uh, either of them are going to be taking the league by storm with right away. Maybe as a follow up question, then, because this is one of the other main things Suns fans complain about. Right. And, and with good reason is like this is a mid range shooting team as currently constructed um, or it's a mid range shooting team from the primary guys. And then everyone around them stands on the perimeter and shoots threes. But there's not a whole lot of rim pressure on this team like built into the offensive attack and we saw it in the playoffs i don't think it's like the main reason the suns lost but i think it's one of a plethora of reasons that you can point at um is there any guy on your list and this could be a wing too it doesn't have to be a guard necessarily um is there anyone in this range who like just puts pressure on the rim just attacks really well that you can think of so i would say i hate to keep going back to him but jared butler of all the guards is probably the best at the rim pressure um Jaden Springer, who might not be there, uh, is another guy that I think with his strength and his ability to absorb contact, like moving forward, I think he could be a really good finisher eventually, but that's more of a long-term guy. Um, but yeah, overall, there's this entire class, like usually you're going to find those those rim pressure wings like uh, from the wing position, but there's not a ton of wings in the Suns range that kind of, uh, in general, like this is probably one of the weakest wing drafts in a while. Like, I mean, Interesting. Corey Kispert, Chris Duarte, and Trey Murphy are like three guys that are all like shooters, and they're wings that are going to probably, mm-hmm. they're going to be well off the board uh, before the Suns pick, but they're like guys that James Jones would just be in love with and probably take with the first pick if he could. Uh, I saw Chris Duarte is uh, 24, right? Yes. He's a. Uh, I saw. He's a I, I saw he's. I, I looked. I, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I like he came up on my YouTube, also on my YouTube algorithm. <laughs> I think we were joking about that before, maybe before we recorded. Um, and uh yeah he's he's older than me i was like wow i I still have a chance (laughs) like this is totally a james jones prospect there there are 24 year olds in the first round again yeah yeah and then uh josh christopher would be the one guy i guess like that's the guy athleticism um we have to talk about him right yeah i mean we're in arizona uh but yeah that's that's the exact guy that i was going to bring up and ask you about because um well first off first off he's not really a shooter like um 
I mean, if you just look at the number of attempts, three-point attempts that he's taken compared to the other guys that we've talked about so far, uh, like, for example, Bones Highland took 186 three-pointers. Um, Josh Christopher took 59. <laughs> so just looking at the difference in that alone, plus the percentage, which is 30%. Um, but he is he's super, super athletic. Like, he's probably one of the more athletic guys available in the Suns' range, even though he's still, you know, he's not super tall. Uh, he's more of a shooting guard, point guard height. Um but yeah, this is a, I don't know. Have the Suns even ever taken an Arizona State guy? I can't even remember if that's something that they've done in the past. But what do you think? What do you think of him? Yeah, I think he was in a team environment that kind of um, amplified or like put more of a focus on like some of his weaknesses mm-hmm. and didn't really allow him to like flourish the way I think he can because like there's just a lot of ISO ball at ASU this year. Uh, I think a lot of Arizona State fans already already know that uh, between. You know, Remy Martin and Alonzo Verge, you know, chucking up shots. But, yeah, I think he's more suited to play in an off-ball role where he can, you know, create downhill and transition. But also in the half court, if you need a bucket, you can go to him, like run him off some actions. So uh, the creation I actually re- – I'm pretty high on in terms of, like, long term. Uh, he will be a little bit of a project, though, I think. And he's not someone I think that fits the James Jones-type mold. So – Mm. Um, same with Bones Island in the sense where I think team context kind of, uh, I don't want to say made them look worse, but coming from where they did to like a sun system would bring out the best in them. So um, definitely not a Jones guy, but if he does decide to take a swing, like he's, he's someone I would, I would approve that pick. I actually made that pick for the Suns in the SB Nation uh, mock draft for, for <laughs> Bright Side of the Sun. Uh, nice. All the other guys we talked about were off the board at that point though. So uh, it was a little disappointing, but he's he's someone I would uh, I'd be interested because I think having another creator off the bench to alleviate some of those like creation issues when Booker's sitting would would help a lot. It doesn't bother you that he averaged more turnovers than assists. I mean, uh, do you, it, do, it do you just see that as more of a do you see that as more of a, a team issue than necessarily like an issue with his decision making or wow, what do you think? You, a little bit. You of go both. first, Brandon. Sorry. a little bit of both I think Um, like I said I don't think he's ever going to be like someone you can rely on to like create for others like consistently but if you're plugging him in as like a you know just go get buckets type of like role where it's off the bench the microwave score that maybe he adds some playmaking as he goes on and develops like there's there's, I think there's more to his game than he's really able to display at Arizona State like uh, him and Brandon Boston have two of like the most like exciting like highlight or not highlights um like flashes in terms of like high school basketball like heading into the season so if you if you're into that stuff with like just you know players that were highly rated like uh, heading into their freshman year and then kind of disappointing a little bit uh those are two guys i think that have a lot more in their bag than they're able to display I was going to say just uh, to Mike's point earlier about um, assists. We, we talk about assist to turnover ratio all the time. Uh, I, I feel like we rarely talk about assist to steal ratio, and we rarely see a guard here with more steals than assists <laughs> per game. That's that's a pretty impressive feat. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. I mean, that is very rare. Actually, interestingly, all of the three guys that we just talked about have like insanely high steal numbers, like. Uh, Bones with 1.9 per game, McBride with 1.9, and Christopher lower, but 
1.5, which is still relatively high uh, for the for the position that they play. Um, those are the types of things I think that you can point at and say there's some potential there. Uh, I worry about seal numbers in general just because it points to gambling sometimes, but um, it is interesting that all three of those guys have uh, specific h- higher than average, I would say, steal numbers. I want to ask you, Brandon, we can move on to other players. I have some other players that I have listed out, but I know you've written about other players that could be in the Suns range. Is there anyone specific that you want to bring up and talk about here? I'll give you a chance uh, to bring somebody up that we haven't talked about yet. Um, so there's a couple guys that I think kind of fit and they might be a long shot in terms of like where they're mocked um, a little bit later than their pick, but someone like Quentin Grimes from Houston, six, five, uh, you know, he shot 40% from three on like eight plus attempts per game. So super high volume. Um, he might be considered a reach if they took him there, but I think he's someone that Jones would like just because he's a three-year guy, uh, highly recruited out of Kansas and ended up transferring to Houston. So he's had to like kind of rebuild his stock. So um, that could be someone I could see them taking a swing on. Uh, Kessler Edwards, another guy from Pepperdine, uh, wing. He's like six eight, uh, shoots the hell out of the ball, and he's probably the best team defender in the class. So. Um, those are just like two quick names that come to mind, and then hold up, Grimes launched him. Are you kidding yeah, me? He he took over crazy. eight, over eight threes a game at forty percent. Oh my god, two hundred forty-eight threes. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's someone that his stock like fell off the like the deep end for a while. Like after his freshman year at Kansas, he was like a top ten recruit, and then didn't get the role he wanted, so he transferred. And you don't see this happen very often, but he completely rejuvenated his his. Uh, stock in Houston and you know players like that I think there's going through that adversity after kind of you know being a highly recruited guy can can definitely help um, with the maturity process of a player so he's someone I could see Jones liking for that reason why why is he <laughs> like when I just think about him as a player 6'4 205 pounds eight threes a game 40 percent on threes and is known as a good defender why is he mocked so low is it just his age yeah, I think it's a little bit of his age and just, you know, uh, mocks in general. It's like, I think they kind of, uh, they gauge one another. So it's like if he's like been consistently kind of undrafted or like late second round for so long, and now you're kind of slowly seeing him like move up. And then I think they just all copy each other and just kind of slowly move him up too. <laughs> so it's just like, uh, oh yeah, this guy is a legit prospect. But it's like, he was a five-star recruit. It's not like he's like some no-name, so... A um, little surprised he was completely, I don't want to say completely off the radar this year, but he was just not really talked about until recently where, you know, he's impressed in some workouts. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I think that's the type of player I think that would be high uh, on the James Jones quotient that we talked about because he would be an uh, older player, a good we need shooter. A for- a good we need a formula. We, like, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to develop an actual formula. <laughs> I don't have the uh, B- I don't have his BPM up, but I mean a good defender, a good shooter. Um, it would be considered a reach, right? That would be yep. a big part of it. Um, and he's older. Yeah, I mean it all makes sense as far as uh, what he could be. Somebody I want to ask you about too, because it's just another great name, uh, and it's JT Thor. Another, but this is like probably one of the tallest players, maybe the tallest player that we talked about so far. It seems like a lot of the players that we focused on so far in this podcast have been guards uh whereas jt thor is 
tall. <laughs> he's young. This is, I think, a problem with even talking about him uh, for the Suns. I think he's currently 18, but he's sort of mocked in the range for the Suns. I think it depends on what mock draft you look look at. I don't think he's always... Like, oftentimes, I think he's picked higher than where the Suns are picked, but I've seen him in the second round and some as well. Uh, what do you think about Thor? He's fun. I mean, this guy, he's more of like a Ryan McDonough pick than a James Jones pick. <laughs> but the thing is, the difference is it's fine to do that at 29. So I, right. I would be totally on board. Like, I've been on the record saying, like, I'd want a guard or creator but um, over, like, a big. But he's one of the exceptions, I think, in this range. Like, if you're going to take a swing... Uh, I would, I would definitely, I would go all in on Thor. I think him and Sticks would not only be some like awesome nicknames, but like if they if they <laughs> both panned out in like some alternate universe, you could do some really like funky stuff with like your lineups. Um, like he's technically like a big, but he can do some stuff that you know on the floor and like you know pushing in transition stuff like that that uh, is pretty unique. And you know the shot is coming around slowly, but uh, he's shown some really interesting flashes and like if you just look at his highlights you're like how's this guy not in the lottery so um there's definitely going to be some some time it's going to take and you could just send him down to the g league oh wait sorry sarver um <laughs> no but, yeah to somebody else's g league team. that's yeah. why i'm skeptical right it's like we don't have a g right. league trigger, system trigger so point it's for me. it's tough to really see them going all in on like youth but if they did right I, I'd, I'd love the thor pick man that sucks doesn't that suck it does. Yes. That is such a bummer. That is such a bummer and such a good point. Like I didn't usually I ride that pretty hard. I didn't even think of it in this episode. It is such a bummer that they don't have better development in that context. But the names here, man. The names are great. I was thinking about you were you're giving us that that Jalen Smith, JT Thor synergy. Uh I was thinking earlier about Bones Highland, like having sticks and bones. Yeah, kind of as great. the same like third string wrecking crew next year would be really fun. Yeah, yeah, and pain, right? Pain, bones, and sticks, like just sounds yeah. dangerous. Perfect. Uh, so let's let's kind of wrap it up here, and I'm sure there are guys that we haven't talked about yet. But just from your perspective, I think like I really I I've just sort of liked Bones Highland, but that's related to the fact that I've seen more of him than other guys. So I'm not going to factor in my personal opinions on who I think the Suns should draft yet. I think generally I like to not really judge drafts until at least a year or two afterwards anyway. Uh, but when you're just thinking about this draft from a general perspective, what would be the best case scenario for the Suns at this point? Is it really just Jared Butler dropping down to the Suns pick and the Suns being able to pick somebody that should have gone higher uh, if not for other circumstances? Or are there other guys that you would think would be even better than that? Yeah, um, I'll say Jared Butler's best case scenario. Um, Trey Mann's another guy if he falls. Like, we haven't talked about him yet, but I, w- I would like that fit. Um, you know, like I said, there's just so many combo guards, and he's a little bit bigger than, like, than Bones and, and Deuce. Uh, so that's another guy that, you know, who knows? Like, I think him and Butler are probably going to go, like, somewhere in the early 20s, but that'd be a, another good scenario. Um, and it was reported that he's actually going to work out for the Suns this week. So keep an eye out on that possibly. Um, but yeah, I think miles screen season. <laughs> yeah. One would say miles McBride uh, has been, gotten a lot of buzz just because of like the West Virginia thing. And he fits like what they might need. But another name is uh, Joel Ayayi from Gonzaga, uh, six, five combo guard, just kind of does it all You're a little bit older. 
So I could see Jones liking him as well. But but honestly, just like a general scope, I'm like looking at this draft from top to bottom. There's like a pretty solid like point of the draft where it's like from the 20 to 35 range where it's like everyone's in the same tier for me. So I think there is going to be some really good value that they can get out of this pick. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Jones does. Um, you know, all that, all that being said, he'll probably take someone that's like supposed to go in the fifties and what's the worst. I was going to say every, every additional <laughs> name you list, Brandon is one fewer consideration after he listens to this <laughs> seriously yeah just it, what would you think would be a bad draft for the suns at this point because it seems like like all of these guys in this range they all have some somewhat of the same upside and that's the thing about picking later in the draft is is there's you know it's different than when you reach way high in the draft um when you're picking later because it's like you can kind of sell yourself on any guy when you're picking 29 mm-hmm. uh but is there is there anyone that you would consider a bad pick for the suns in this range I don't want to say bad because it's it's the 29th pick and it's like already kind of a long shot that they're going to wind up being anything more than a rotation player. Um, but it's all about like what your idea of that player is. So like uh, Ayo Dosumu from Illinois is someone I'm not very high on just because I don't know what he does great. Um, and if they drafted him with the intention of making him like this, you know, guard that they're going to put a, a heavy like workload on and like, think that he can come in and contribute from day one um that's someone like i, I want to be too high on that pick but yeah it's it's like jeremiah robinson earl is another name that's been thrown around a lot as a big that can come in and like fill that backup four or five it's like no just go sign like a veteran free agent uh, yeah there's, there's better yeah, ways to find chasing. that because that's kind of what yeah. i think he's capped out as and that's not where you want to draft but uh yeah i think in general it's just like there's less pressure it's a 29th pick at the end of the day so there's nothing that will like send uh, Sun's Twitter on like a fire again. So. <laughs> All right. Not if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> I'm prepared. I'm prepared to be angry and and rile up the masses. I don't know about you. Now, I can think of a few people that are going to get mad no matter what happens. Anyway. True. <laughs> uh, but. We definitely appreciate you, Brandon, coming on and schooling us on all of these guys. I think it's going to be an interesting draft, more at the top end than where the Suns are picking. Um, but more than anything else, I think the Suns have a lot of really interesting decisions coming up. Um, like what they do with this draft pick may depend on what Chris Paul does, and I hope they have a good idea of what Chris Paul does. Technically, Chris Paul could opt into his contract before the draft that's something that could possibly happen i think the date that he has to do it by is the day before free agency which is sunday um so you know we may not know anything until that date at that point um but for the suns like they have a lot of interesting decisions to make as far as whether they keep it or whether they trade it and who else they keep on their roster in this offseason but we definitely appreciate you make sure to follow him i believe it's at zona hoops go to the website zonahoops.com is there anything else that you would like uh to plug brandon uh, no, just keep killing it. You guys are, you guys are doing great work. Um, the free agent videos have been awesome. So, just glad to be back on here and uh, looking forward to the coming episodes. Appreciate, Appreciate you. you. We'll be back after the draft to uh, pretend we know uh, whether or not it was a good pick. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.